0: Hello and welcome to the Spooky Shelf Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, we explore the horror movies which make up my guest's perfect DVD shelf. With all the streaming services available to us, I wanted to give my guests the opportunity to curate their ultimate horror DVD shelf with 13 titles which stand out to them as the best the genre has to offer. My guest today is Louise Blaine, who you'll know from Evolution of Horror's Fresh Blood crew and the BBC series Sound of Gaming. Louise is an absolute pro at podcasting and it was a joy to get to chat to her all about her top horror movie. Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf so you can keep up to date with more guests from the online horror community and without further ado, let's go put up the Spooky Shelf with Louise Blake.
1: This has been a stressful thing, Joe. I've had a Google Doc open since you sent me the questions. And it's been <laughs> nightmarishly difficult for, to a point where there was lists at some point, And then I had to whittle them down to one thing. And I still, do, you know, by the time we get halfway through it, I'm still going to be like, mm, maybe, this, maybe this isn't going here. Maybe this isn't. Mm. We'll see how it goes. Well, I'd,
0: I would like you to remember, Louise, that actually once you've committed this to audio format, it's set in stone. There's no change yep. in it. So you've got to get it right first time. Otherwise... Thanks.
1: I'm so glad I said yes
0: (laughs) No absolutely obviously all lists are trivial anyway and uh, on any other this is the beauty of it any other given day something else might have slotted in so of course so we'll we'll just capture you for today this is the the shelf that you're going to be putting up so okay okay let's start then Uh, the first disc I'm going to ask you for Louise is what was the very first horror film you ever saw
1: okay so this maybe doesn't count officially as a horror film. However, Excellent. we covered it on the evolution of horror.
0: It was good enough for and me.
1: therefore that means it can. So my mom and dad were always really really careful about what I saw, which is hilarious given the fact that I've turned out like this. <laughs> um but they were they were always very careful. Like I had to leave the I had to leave the living room um when they put on like cliffhanger and stuff. That's how strict they were. <laughs> but when I was in primary 3 um of school, so I must have been what? Yeah, 6 or 7 the teacher wheeled in that giant VCR, VHS combo and put on the witches.
0: Oh, no, 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 no,
1: no. Which was so scary and so intense, as we know, with Angelica Houston being utterly, spectacularly terrifying as the Grand High Witch, that when um, the pupils of Loughlinne Primary School went home, they told their parents and then the parents complained. And I don't know if my parents complained, but I definitely feel like all of us screeching in a classroom as she removed her face to reveal that horrific Jim Henson's creature workshop makeup underneath. We were, I mean, we were genuinely petrified. Like, Mm. I don't think I was the same after that. And having read the book previously, it was nothing like I, I didn't. I was not ready for the witches. I wasn't ready, Joe.
0: No, it's it's incredibly intense, isn't it? But th- this is the thing that I I particularly enjoy. It, it, you've managed to uncover a, a sort of a vein of horror that completely fascinates me, and it's the stuff that's made for kids, but is genuinely, if you're watching that as an adult, you could still find it quite quite terrifying. You know? Yeah,
1: it's got it's got real like there's really small moments in it. Like there are in the book sort of the little girl disappearing from the painting. Yes. That idea. And there's also some really quite... um... There's quite sort of I think it's uh, they're in Norway, aren't they? There's the kind of the kind of Nordic terror approach of this little girl trying to run home and she's being kind of pursued by a witch, and then there's the very Britishness of it where there's that you know our main character Lucas up a tree and there's this very proper woman with proper gloves and shoes and she's standing at the bottom with a snake, and there is and these flashing eyes and everything about it is just so intrinsically terrifying. <laughs>
0: fantastic stuff i i yeah i, I do really really like what uh i do really like the witches i think my cousin and i started watching it and it was just on telly or something and it was the scene where they all reveal themselves to be witches oh, it was one of those yeah. ones where we put it on for two seconds and nope and then clicked nope. off onto the next oh. onto the next channel
1: <laughs> it's because it's so unhinged it's just um it's just weird enough it's just weird enough and it just mm. creates like i think there's also a sort of uniquely i don't know if your US listeners would find it as terrifying, but there's something so British about it being that big, giant Victorian hotel in I think New Quay or Torquay, and it's just where you're meant to go to have a nice time, yes. and everyone's meant to be on holiday, and that's where the the most horrible things in the world live. And yeah, I think there's something about that.
0: There, there's something about um, sort of like a a, a drizzly, sort of grey seaside town. Yeah. That's quite spooky. So I mean the the um the recent I say recent COVID's addled my brain. It might still count as recent. All but, of our brains. <laughs> uh, ghost stories by with um Andy Nyman written by Jeremy Dyson. That's oh, a yes. terrifying beach town. Um yep. I remember actually well, so my family we um holiday down in Cornwall quite a lot and um we're just pootling about and it took me about four or five visits to that beach to realize that actually the beach that we always went to just had that hotel on it it's, new,
1: One of, it's new key it is new key isn't it i, oh, I think
0: it is yeah horrible yeah. but oh my god incredible stuff just,
1: just sitting there in a hill just haunting your haunting your beach <laughs> holidays joe <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, oh Jesus Christ! Between that and the Woman in Black, I've I've told the story on the podcast before. The 1989 Woman in Black—that was my version of your story. That was the film yeah. that got wheeled out in my English class. Was uh, the um, the Nigel Neal Woman in Black, and oh, holy oh, shit! So
1: terrifying. Yeah. I only watched that quite recently. Um, Becky lend me the loaned me the DVD, and I was just genuinely horrified. It's
0: it's awful. That's the one that gave me nightmares for like for months on end. So okay, the the witches, and that's am
1: I right in thinking that's
0: I, d- I don't have a, a, a Google open in front of me, but is that Nick Rogue? Tis. It is. So um, You know,
1: just your just your just, director of Don't Look yeah. Now directing just a Roald Dahl adaptation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Incredible stuff. Okay, Louise, that is a fantastic first answer. Thanks very much. Let's move on then to your second, and this is probably my second favourite question that I ask. Um, which is the horror film that scared you the most?
1: This is not an easy question. It's
0: not. But that's why I like asking them. They call me the the Paxman of horror. They don't. No one calls me that. I just thought of it. They could try, though. If you just keep
1: saying it enough. Um, The film, I think, that scared me the most is The Blair Witch Project.
0: Excellent. Okay, tell me about watching The Blair Witch Project. Why was it The Blair Witch that scared you so much?
1: The Blair Witch scared me because I think it was maybe the first... Or we actually sneaked in because it was 99, wasn't it? I still wasn't old enough to see it. And I think it was a 15. So again, we all went to the cinema and what would happen was we would lie and we would always just hope that the person would believe our age. Um, And it was one of those that I sneaked into. And I think that really the thing about the Blair Witch Project that just doesn't happen anymore is the fact that despite the fact that we knew it wasn't real, there was also the thing that it might be because the internet yeah. was just in its infancy, doing that kind of virality thing. It had a website that was their real names, and I'd never really understood how found footage worked. So I think, despite the fact there was a big part of my brain that knew the Blair Witch Project was fake, mm. found that was my first found footage movie, and it completely it, it ignited a love for found footage, which we will continue to to talk about on this on this episode because. Excellent the reality of the Blair Witch Project and the fact that it showed so little. I've always had a very vivid imagination and mm-hmm. I used to live out in the countryside and we used to go walking and camping and do all these things. And all I actually needed was them saying, do you hear that noise? And then straining your ears, just straining them for the fact that you might hear something. And don't Who knows what it is? Can you hear crying? Can you hear stones hitting off each other? By the time that third act, by the time they end up in that house in the Blair Witch Project anything coming out of the darkness would have petrified me Mm. because it was just so perfectly nightmarish. And so the evil that lurked in those woods, I don't think I've ever thought about anything as evil since because it was the evil that I created in my head. So nothing could be more terrifying than that. And I think that's one of those things that I think at the moment Skinnamarink is doing a worse job of because we have seen sort of grainy found footage that is not we need more than just you know gazes up at the ceiling Mm. you know i think the blair witch gets it right and it errs in the direction of showing us human drama as opposed to trying to just depend on the fact some scary noises scare us because the blair witch project is really really intelligent i think
0: absolutely and i think it's i I do wonder when we're going to see the likes of it again because i i don't know if ever now there will ever be the question oh is this real or not because we've had it before we will always now just be like well yeah. obviously it's not because there's certain things that are put in place to protect actors yes, from dying <laughs> so, okay so then explain to me how how that fear manifested itself so you said that you know it was the most evil thing you could imagine you've not imagined anything evil since how did that fear then manifest was it sleepless nights was it paralysis or what was it? that's the bit that really interests me
1: so that um I think you only see that you only need to see the horror film for 90 minutes don't you and then the best horror films kind of stay with us yes um so it is the idea of what lurks in the dark and what lurks in the woods um and I think I mean when it immediately manifested itself when I went home and I had to take the we, we had a cat at the time and the cat lived in a garage kind of just away from the house and I, as usual I took the cat down to the garage and my dad waited for me behind a tree and jumped <gasps> out from behind a tree no. <laughs> and I was not okay I wasn't okay Joe. Oh. but I think from then on it was that idea of I don't want to go camping just like people who watch Jaws far too young don't mm. really like that fe- feeling of when they go swimming if they manage to get into the water at the beach they don't like the feeling of going towards the beach because of what might be behind them it was that entire idea of what's in the woods I mean I still get it I mean Scotland is magnificent and covered in forests. And really, like, we drive past them and, you know, they just look dark. And Mm. it's the exact kind of thing that I automatically know how it would feel to go camping and to try and sleep and to zip up a tent when all you've got is that flimsy tent material that in the Blair Witch is pushed violently and mm. hearing things. It's, um, it's fuel for a vivid imagination,
0: I think. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, so that when we get to that, that third act as well, I was listening to something a little while ago, and somebody pointed out that, that one of the reasons they found it particularly, you know, particularly disturbing is because the, the image of you know, someone stood in a corner... It Dude. almost looks like an image of abuse. Do you know what I mean? It looks yeah. like he's been told. Right, you stand in the corner. He's like he's been really, really told off. So that that was what particularly freaked me out with the the Blair Witch was all, all that sort of stuff. But like you say, you know, absolutely masterful. I guess
1: that was also a kind of that the corner thing was like a reward for the fact that when you saw it, you, knew you were was. listening to everything because you only heard that once. It's, when Someone only line? said that once. Yeah. But that was all you needed. And half the cinema was petrified and the other half's like, what? Because Mm. they maybe, you know, didn't hold as much stock in whatever that other person was saying. But if you you sat gripped for that entire thing, Mm. that payoff was dreadful and magnificent. (laughs)
0: For your third disc then, what is your favourite slasher movie do you know a... the
1: answer to this? Well, from...
0: I, I'm wondering if the poster that's over your shoulder might give me a little bit of a hint. Yes, um... uh, I
1: have a stab poster behind me. <laughs> but yes, my favourite slasher movie that I literally have tattooed on my body in the shape of a ghost face is Scream.
0: Fantastic <laughs> stuff. Okay, t- tell me about Scream. Why is Scream your favourite in particular?
1: Um, Scream for me was completely formative, uh, mm-hmm. just in terms of my sort of horror journey, because really if while the Witches might have been technically the first horror film Scream was probably the first actual horror film because again we watched it in school at a lunchtime again <laughs> on that big stupid VCR machine thing and I just never seen horror like it and like I feel like I'm repeating we, we um we did a Scream podcast called Hello Sydney and I, I think I talked about this extensively on there because it was just the idea that while at the same time, it was great for people who'd obviously survived seventies and eighties slashers. So they were getting all the they were getting all the meta stuff. On the surface, it was still a great horror film. Mm. It was still smart talking, wicked teenagers um, being brutally murdered with a brilliant who done it plot, and the fact that that was then surrounded by Wes Craven lovingly adding all these references meant that not only did I get a brilliant slasher first slasher really it meant i then got homework which yeah was exactly. to do. so i worked back the way so i watched scream and then i worked back the way and basically i don't think i don't think i would have the same love of horror if it hadn't been for hadn't been for watching that at such a sort of pivotal moment when mm. it must have been 12 and actually straight after it scream 2 came out in the cinema and we sneaked into the cinema to see scream 2 mm-hmm. at 12 and we sat down the front and it just felt so massively rebellious. But yeah, as a slasher movie with Sydney as a final girl, like all of that is just, it's just perfect. And I think it's the film I've watched the most as well in terms of a comfort watch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, it, I think it does. It does sort of bemuse non-horror fans when you you explain to them how you know your comfort movies are watching people getting you know disemboweled or beheaded or you know something like
1: that. Someone but, sent that meme to me the other day, which was when when your girlfriend tells you she's watching her comfort watch and it's literally like belly covered in blood <laughs> with, his, with a voice changer in front of him. It's like the comfort <sighs> movie.
0: Here we are. We're back. <sighs> we can all chill now. Yes. But
1: yeah, but that's a hard honestly. Thinking about favourite slashers, it's because none of them would be the slasher movies we watch if it hadn't been for the ones that came before. So picking one is particularly aggressive questioning.
0: (laughs) I'm really enjoying how much you you clearly have struggled with this. You've come to this. Right. I I need to have a word with you. (laughs) Yes,
1: This is why I've said yes, because this is difficult.
0: fantastic stuff so then um do you have you you continued that love throughout the whole series or Mm -hmm. it's never dropped off at all uh
1: scream 3 i mean scream 3 is a weird one Mm. isn't it um which i only when i watched it at the time i really didn't like it because it kind of has that whole scooby-doo theme to it and it's really pretty terrible but then when you realize that it was literally made in response to columbine and they were terrified of you know showing kids killing each other you kind of understand but it got right back on track with Scream 4. I loved last year's Scream, and I'm very, very excited about Scream 6.
0: I'm, very I'm excited. I'm intrigued. The marketing that they're, they're doing for it now, it's like they're really leaning on the message of, this one's different. This yes. one's slightly different. So just, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that one as well myself. I'm not, Close I'm,
1: face with a gun.
0: Yeah, I mean, immediately, immediately that becomes so much more than just about someone running around killing people doesn't it as soon as you throw in you know the the topic of firearms and that sort of thing absolutely and i think that's what i think our genre does best perhaps you know better than you know other genres the fact that if you want to discuss something you just dress it up as as something else you mask it but you can have really in-depth analysis of very very complex ideas with you know a bucket of blood and yeah and a, a bunch of totally. people killing each other. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. Scream. Completely, completely understand that uh, that pick. And, uh, and I'm completely unsurprised, to be completely honest, Louise. So that's fantastic. <laughs> Dude,
1: I'm glad to be on brand. That's nice. Yeah. I can be nice and predictable.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on to your favourite ghost or haunting horror movie.
1: For this, I'm going to go with Stanley Kubrick's The Shining.
0: Lovely stuff.
1: It was close with The Conjuring. Very, very close.
0: Really? That is that is fascinating. No Which is a supernatural and
1: possession movie, but mm. it's, it's too good. But The Shining is just, um, I saw that, when did I see it? I saw it as um, when I was, I think I was 16 mm. and it was like for a film and TV course at Glasgow Uni and I'd never seen it before. Um, and just everything about it I think every time I've watched The Shining I have seen a new terrifying thing Mm. about it and the more you read and the more you watch is it that Room 237 documentary the more you uncover about The Shining the more interesting it gets the more I mean the horrific treatment you know of of Shelley Duvall all of that when actually her performance now I find much more understandable and relatable Mm. as opposed to her getting you know those worst. Uh, worst actress nominations etc when actually i think there's some really interesting things in that performance of the shining that people underestimate but just as a whole in terms of a haunted hotel it's from the mind of stephen king through the lens of stanley kubrick in a very very different way which i think are two equally fascinating things um it's just total haunting catnip
0: it a it, it hundred a hundred percent is i mean uh, uh mike Munzer was on the show a little while ago he mentioned the shining and you know we were just talking about i don't understand how a little boy riding a tricycle around a hallway i don't know why that's scary but it's utterly terrifying that it's just it is dreadful as it is full of dread i think we also spoke of you know something being captured in this celluloid almost it feels like with that one what what, right now as of today what is the Mm. scariest part of the shining for you
1: uh again one of those dread sequences so not the twins or not the tricycle but what i'm thinking about is when he's looking over the the maze he's looking over the the model of Mm. the maze and uh danny and his mum are in the maze and they're just having a nice time (laughs) and what they're actually what we are feeling is the complete opposite of a nice time and there's just such threat and Mm. doom and you don't really know why it's ominous but you know exactly why it's ominous at the same time um, and that's interesting I purposefully didn't listen to Mike's spooky shelf uh, because I didn't want to know what he selected because sometimes <laughs> Mike and I share a brain to the point where our very first conversation that we ever had in a little cupboard at the BFI was about The Shining and it was my first time on Evolution of Horror and we'd never <laughs> met before that and I think that is why we are now best friends yeah. because it sounded like we were actually knew each other we were friends because we could talk about The Shining together Um. but yeah it's such a it's some, I need to be in the mood to watch it. It's not a comfort watch. You know, it's still, there's a still level of, there's a level of madness hmm. in Jack Nicholson that I find exceptionally disturbing still. I need to be ready to watch The Shining.
0: It is a very disturbing performance, but I think something that, I mean, I'm, yeah, it's not an original thought, but the, the novel of The Shiny, it's a much more, not controlled, but it's a much lengthier descent into madness yes. and you can see the stages whereas Jack Nicholson as soon as he's driving the car you're like wow oh,
1: yeah you're wrong there's a wrong yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a wrong
1: <laughs> there's a wrong one he's a wrong yeah <laughs> yeah there's a definite intensity and we know that how awful it is I mean from that opening from that opening music mm. and even the, the helicopter shot it everything about that is just sheer well we were on the way to awfulness welcome to awfulness <laughs> <laughs>
0: lovely stuff okay so the shining is going on your shelf what i'm gonna do with the uh the the dvd or the blu-ray of of the shining for you louise i'm gonna put in a little flyer for the conjuring just like thank you by the way just check this out and then behind that little polaroid of mike Munzer going hey thumbs up
1: lovely oh i like this lovely
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe mike's maybe it's a polaroid of mike's face coming through the door he oh, yeah, got
1: actually. I think he has a couple of those. When oh, he does okay. his quizzes. I think he literally has that with Rihanna with a uh, poor Rihanna in the background.
0: Yes, that's right. I was at Her one. Patient Rihanna.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> patient.
0: <laughs> oh, amazing! Fantastic. It's fine. They're married now. I can. Yeah, say it's that. all right. It's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um. All right your fifth pick then Louise Blaine uh what is your favorite horror tv show
1: this was the easiest it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: why can it be anything else
0: tell me about your relationship with Buffy
1: um Buffy I watched at the time where I think everyone who basically built it into their personality watched it when I was a teenager so when I was at school Uh, and I think you kind of understand exactly why the parallels between going to high school is literally full of demons um, and I mean everything about it was just perfect for me from the get-go just the the monster I love monster of the week tv shows mm. but it expertly does monster of the week at the same time as giving you brilliant characters but at the same time as a wonderful overarching story over the entire 20th remember when seasons were 23 episodes long over 23 episodes they just create this sort of absolute magic mm. and I think season two of Buffy is my absolute favorite season it's good you've got angel turning into angelus um you've just got everything going so wrong in it and i was at exactly the right moment at 16 mm. just sobbing over the doomed love of buffy and angel um and then there's a lot of buffy as well that is, i find very relatable you know willow's willow's coming out um narrative was just wonderful and i think at that time i wasn't particularly i wasn't my sexual i wasn't out mm-hmm. i certainly wasn't telling people i was I was gay in any capacity, but the idea of even Willow saying in that, she's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm a vampire and I, I think I'm kind of gay. And suddenly, <laughs> like, you don't understand the importance of little sentences yeah. like that, which in our media at the time in the late 90s, early noughties, just wasn't something that we really saw. So the idea that that was sitting in with the monsters and the demons and the vampires and the, the great script just means that it just did everything for me. It was just wonderful.
0: Particularly you mentioned like the importance of little sentences like that. Particularly when you've got other shows, other massive shows like Friends, which is quite yep. overtly homophobic in a lot of its episodes. Yeah. A lot of it is the boys all trying to avoid the label of being called, you know, gay or or, or being uncomfortable with showing you know, any level of um of closeness with each other because they are so terrified of that label.
1: Yep.
0: The something like Buffy comes along, and, and as you say, the, and but also the the cruelty because I think in all of Buffy, my favourite relationship was Willow and Tara. Yeah. And then the cruel joke of having her name appear in the credits in the episode, in the episode where episode. she is killed. Oh, yep. horrendous, horrendous, grim. grim. And uh, I think.
1: Yeah, that now I've read there's um, Into Every Generation of Slayers Born by Evan Ross Katz is a book that came out last year and, and he interviewed Sarah Michelle Geller and a lot of the other cast members and initially he was going to write a book about how much he loved Buffy mm. <laughs> but then the Joss Whedon stuff all came out yeah, and then he ended up writing a book about how Buffy was made almost in spite of the fact that he was the most horrific presence on set yeah. and I think that's something that we have to reckon with now and the fact that you know apparently he threatened all of them with death all the time and you wonder like did Tara die because he just didn't want Amber Benson there anymore and suddenly you're like these all all these different things are particularly cruel especially mm. when so many writers and incredible performers made everything that made you know Buffy's so successful um but it's hard to it's hard to separate those things I think sometimes it,
0: it very much is and I mean I heard a, an interview with um, with James Masters a little while ago and it was after it had all come out about Joss Whedon I was really really disappointed in him because he just skated over the whole thing he did they started talking about Joss yeah and he just—it was surface level. He was just talking about. It. He didn't say at all like, "Oh, there was this, you know, horrendous sense on on set of him being, you know, this this absolute monster." Um, but this it, is this... weird
1: though because he did come out. I af- must have come out after that because he then said that Joss used to threaten him to say that Spike would die because he was angry that Spike was so successful, and constantly threatened him. Oh, well, with it, the death of Spike okay. but that's it must, must potentially he, there that, must have then. been a backlash to that
0: yeah
1: where he actually said what the truth was because I think there was a couple of mentions of that in the book actually but yeah it's I think Sarah Michelle Geller has basically said that she doesn't want her name to be constantly associated with Joss but she also doesn't there's nothing good that will come out of her story coming out but she she supports the people who are Talking about their stories, she's basically saying, "I'm not talking about it because I don't want to go through it again." Mm. But believe the people who are telling you. Basically, yeah. it's a very multi layered approach from her, which I, you know, she made that show and then kind of disappeared and didn't talk about it, and then now that she comes back and she's talking about it, she's being careful with what she says, which I understand
0: absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I said this. Obviously, this will be no surprise to you that Becky picked Buffy for for her favorite yes. horror TV show. And you know, I, I said to her then, "It's like it, it's." It belongs to us now. It's yeah. it's not his he may have created and everything, but he is not he is not in control of what it means to to those of us who, you know, grew up watching it. And and for yeah. me, Buffy was hugely important for me. I mean, it you know, I I'm quite middle of the road, the straight white boy, but I remember thinking that i had to to keep my fandom of buffy a secret because i thought people would take the piss you know so it's... and it was one of the first things i <laughs> oh shit i ever actually wrote fan fiction
1: before <laughs> so... oh isn't that great isn't it you've always got that first thing that is becomes the fanfic yeah did you write fanfic for long
0: oh god um yeah it was my one of my cousins and i we really got into it over the, the period of sort of two or three years and yeah we forever just writing little things and publishing them and it was yeah it was mainly it was mainly buffy but there was a, a few sort of doctor who bits in there as
1: well okay but... <laughs> oh i love that i love that because i mean that's how um so many writers start their stuff on fanfic i mean yeah. we I, me and my friend used to kind of do buffy fanfic but with us in it we used to send each other write each other letters at night and give them to them the next day and we talk about our lives in the letter at the top but then we would continue a story in the second half and it was all werewolves and vampires <sighs> and it was basically Buffy that... but it was our own thing so yeah totally on board with that loved it
0: that is fucking adorable <laughs> I absolutely love
1: and that. we always had like our favorite track um we we used to change the opening track and I kind of I think they're all in a box somewhere and it will just be like whatever we were listening to when we thought it was cool in 2004.
0: A lot of evanescence, <laughs> th- I
1: imagine. Yeah, probably. <laughs> a bit of Lincoln high Park. Sc- high school, 96 to 2002. So, I mean, we're probably talking Backstreet Boys. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Incredible. Okay, what I'm going to do with your box set of Buffy Louise is I've actually printed out all the stories that you've written, and it comes in a little folder within the box set so you can reminisce oh, with.
1: Oh, my gosh, <laughs> I can be so embarrassed. Yes,
0: thank you. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Okay, then. Uh, Your sixth pick, then. Which horror movie has your favourite jump scare?
1: Now it's the chance where I get to talk about The Descent. So The Descent has my favourite jump scare. So amongst the brilliance of the many layering of female friendships and drama and claustrophobia and horrific monsters, um, spoilers for The Descent incoming, there is a... um, One of the women thinks she sees light. She ends up running down a corridor that's not really a corridor. It's more of a tiny pipe. And she tumbles through and lands broken on a pile of bones. When the other women all catch up, um, they realise that they are on a pile of bones. And in order to be able to see the things that they can start to hear scuttling in the dark, uh, they bring out their camera and turn on night vision, only to reveal that one of them is right behind our main girl, Sarah. And it is just, it's cinematic perfection that absolutely annihilated me at the time. And I still just poise ready for it because it's so magnificent.
0: It is a flawless, flawless scare, isn't it? I do, There, there I, I think I've said this on, the, on this podcast before, but there is something that I really wish hadn't happened beforehand. And it's when they're, I think it's just after they've crossed the chasm, you know, when they have mm-hmm. to sort of scramble across the, the roof of the cave. I think it's just after that. One of them looks off into the distance and sees something scuttling away. And I was Yep,
1: there's a scuttle. If you just didn't have
0: that bit. There's yep. so there is absolutely no mention at all of the, the Griblies being down there. But who who am I to tell Neil Marshall how to do stuff? Do you know what I mean? So
1: I mean you can tell him now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wasn't gonna say that, but bless him.
1: <laughs> I mean that's the problem the descent is the descent is absolutely my favorite horror movie and mm. yes and I, I think I mean I watched um rewatched Dog Soldiers the other night which is just magnificent as well and then the descent and then there's just everything else but um is, the descent's it, magnificent
0: It is interesting isn't it that you have you know he makes one one film that's very much you know oh male friends fighting against supernatural beings. And then he makes another one that's about female friends fighting against supernatural beings and and overcoming the things there. Dog Soldiers does occupy an incredibly special place for me because it it remains the only DVD I wore out. That's amazing. I watched Dog Soldiers so many times when I was... 13, 14, 15 and onwards that I I burnt through the DVD.
1: (laughs) Wow. Most people would, you know, when we were little, we'd burn through the VHS and it would go all weird and all warped. Not the DVD.
0: Let me tell you what happens when you burn through a DVD, Louise. Just lots of glitches. It's it's really quite uninspiring. Just a lot of screen tear and and bullshit.
1: I mean, I bet Dog Soldiers looks a little better with that. (laughs) It's already pretty scuzzy, isn't it? Because they did that 4K remaster and they said they almost didn't do it because they almost couldn't find the film. Because if you can't find a film, you can't k anything. Mm. But there's apparently some quite a small place in Los Angeles where everything lives and they weren't sure if they could find it. And then they did find it, thankfully. So that's why you can now watch a 4K version and not wear it out, Joe.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if I ever do get to have a chat with Neil Marshall, I will inform him that that is what I managed to do with a DVD. Um, Don't
1: tell him what I said. No,
0: I won't. (laughs) Louise says hi. Just hi. That's all she said. Um, Sends her love. Okay, so you mentioned that The the Descent is your favourite horror movie. Um, Could you expand on why that might be?
1: I think it's just, it is those layers. I think it's the fact that every single one of them, you know, the relationships, the friendships, the intricacies of those relationships, and then even without the monsters it would still be terrifying mm-hmm. you know with with them just clambering into those doing going bouldering for fun is just not it's that's absolutely my idea of hell absolutely no i'm not going underground because that's literally where the monsters live and the idea that that is indeed where the monsters live and they're just being this brilliantly thrilling beautiful kind of gory apocalypse now-esque hyper violent movie in there too it's just it's just like a delicious layered trifle of terror <laughs> i'm a big fan
0: put that on the poster
1: yeah <laughs> delicious <laughs> trifle delicious layered <laughs>
0: trifle five stars no notes
1: <laughs> yes
0: excellent stuff um louise we arrive at my favorite question that i ask my guests um which horror movie had the most and this uh, i will say this this is deliberately vague which horror movie had the most emotional effect on you
1: so, I was thinking, and I really hope Becky didn't mention it, but we watched a film at Fright Fest last year. We watched Next Exit. Did she do it? Is this what she did? No,
0: no. I thought. She, okay, so I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you afterwards what what Becky's pick for this was because okay, it was incredible. I, but... Yeah,
1: because I purposefully didn't listen. I was just <laughs> like, I can't, I can't listen to what the rest of the Fresh. And now I can listen to them all. Um, but I chose Next Exit, which is I think it is available now in in the UK. Uh, it's Mally Elfman's. Um, directorial debut and it's less of a horror movie and more of sort of horror adjacent movie where um karen gillan plays a kind of elizabeth holmes-esque uh doctor who's discovered the existence of the afterlife um and these people basically travel across america to take their own lives and in the process discover the, the beauty of humanity and not in a silly schmaltzy awful way but in a really heartfelt brilliant problem like the the idea that life is not all sunshine and rainbows um, really so it really really got to me um, Mm. and when I think about it I still I get very emotional thinking about it and I you know over the years I've watched so many horror films that have really got me in the gut for many various reasons Um, I was also thinking about The Final Girls which I found particularly sweet for being a horror comedy (laughs) Um, but yeah I, I, I just fell down on Next Exit because I feel like this horror shelf kind of has a lot of older movies on it. And I feel like new horror movies are doing big, bold, contemporary, exciting, thrilling, emotional things. And I think we get to celebrate those too. So that's why it's probably the newest entry on this list.
0: Well, I mean, a couple of points there. Thank you very much for, for considering your shelf in such a way that, you you know, you've you just you know, thought about this silly little show, just like, well, no, it needs to have a, little, a nice flow to it. And it has to make sense. The other point that I was going to make is that I'm... I'm a, it's it's quite a coincidence that you've mentioned next exit because uh in order to come and record this podcast with you i switched off next exit to come and do this i literally oh no. i've watched five minutes of it and i was like oh shit no hang on a minute got to go and do it. Pod- it's podcast time uh so i have got that ready for when we finish so gosh,
1: that's your night oh my gosh <laughs>
0: Um, it's, it's Raul Coley as well, isn't it? Is in next exit who is, he's fast become uh, a hero of mine. And I mean, regular listeners will know that I, I have dubbed Midnight Mass as, and it's taken a lot for me to consider this, but Midnight Mass is the best story I've ever had told to me. The Midnight Mass is the best thing I've ever seen. So I will now
1: So yes, I saw you talking to Mike about this. Yes.
0: That's it, right. So in in and in every episode I do thank Mike Flanagan and Rahul Coley because in the vain attempt that if they ever do come and speak to me about, you know, the spooky shelf, it looks like I knew what I was doing in getting
1: there. Of course but, you knew. Uh, course. But well, no, that's amazing.
0: I'm going to be watching Next Exit soon. So,
1: <laughs> yes. And yes, hopefully you're not as emotionally annihilated as you were by the end of Midnight Mass.
0: Well, I mean, I, I would welcome that, to be honest. I, it's I have I, Wonderful. Yeah. I love having a good old cry. I'll cry. i cry at a fucking Pampers advert. I cry at the drop of a hat, Louise. Oh, so. you're
1: going to... Yep, okay. <laughs> you have a night of tears ahead of you. But in a good way. In a very, very good way.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so next exit is your seventh pick, Louise. Your eighth pick. Uh, what was your best experience with a horror film in the cinema?
1: Paranormal Activity. Yes, it was. Um, Which I saw on opening night in Glasgow. And I think... Um, there's a big cinema in Glasgow there's a big cine world and I think it's still the tallest cinema in Europe but before it was cine world it was the UGC and the UGC we'd, I was just in the UGC all the time mm-hmm. for 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 years and paranormal activity there it was the it was the Friday night um, it was packed it was screen three which is the biggest of all the screens to the point where I was sitting with my friend um, but people were coming in during the trailers and they were having to sit in different places because there were no seats that they could sit together (laughs) so there was this guy sitting next to me and obviously paranormal activity being the absolute found footage terrifying masterpiece that it is was making everyone scream and shout and and generally interact in a way with a film that i don't think i'd really experienced until then because unlike america which is very vocal in its response to films in the cinema, I think the UK we're we're still quite restrained. Like there might be the odd chuckle, but everybody in the cinema was petrified. But my favourite bit of the whole thing, and this was before the last shot where I almost broke my own nose with my knees to protect <laughs> myself from the body of Mika being thrown at the, at the camera. I literally, I turned to this guy because this guy, he had his hands over his eyes. <laughs> And he had his thumbs in his ears, so that's how he was. Ho- that's how he was managing to cover his eyes and his ears. Big guy, and I turned to him and I was like, "Are you okay?" And he looked at me, big Glasgow guy. He's like, "I'm pure fear," <laughs> 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 which in non-Scottish is. Yes, I'm very afraid. Um, and I think there was just such an absolute. I mean, I love that movie. It's that is genuinely almost the one that scared me the most. That was almost in there, but Blair Witch kind of one out but because i think paranormal activity again is so perfectly directed the fact that we're looking at individual parts of the screen for anything to move it brings up exactly the right type of dread and the right kind of tension which again was in, a little bit in the invisible man that we saw not mm. that long ago there's lots of things that basically it educated horror for the next decades to come paranormal activity was a masterclass in it and yeah i just it's so scary but the idea of everyone feeling that same thrum of terror through this—like you didn't even need them; have them wired for electricity. You know, you just everyone was terrified, and that's my favorite thing.
0: That is fantastic. I really like the, I like the idea. He's, he's covering his eyes, got his thumbs in his ears. Like, what are you getting out of this? What are you doing?
1: <laughs> but I do think it's that idea that it almost—he um, could have easily gone in with the idea. Well, I don't. I'm not scared. And Mm. it's like that level of that. I think sometimes found footage can just tap into of we all go to bed. We all sleep. We all have to choose whether we close our bedroom door at night or whether we open it. Do we close it and hope nothing opens it? Or do we leave it open and hope something doesn't come in the gap? Like it's it's an (laughs) eternal battle. you know.
0: don't know what's worse, but (laughs) yeah.
1: And suddenly now we're all thinking about that. And it's like that's the big questions that paranormal activity just asks and then just makes it even more scary.
0: It was fantastic when that came out. So that came out when I was—I must have been sixteen, seventeen when that came out. So um, my, I went to see it with a friend, and there was a—he had a couple of mates, and the, the, so the four of us went, and then went in, watched the film. I was like, I wasn't too scared, but I was like, wow, that was incredible. We got back to his. And then he started trying to muck around. Like he was going, oh, oh. something's going on over there. And then, But it, it culminated with him trying to prank us. But then he just went, oh, fuck, I've really scared myself. I
1: scared <laughs> himself. I love
0: that. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, oh, you I really that. shot yourself in the foot with like, no, that? It no, it, it was an incredible bit of filmmaking, wasn't it? I remember at the time there was so much being talked about. Because it, the, the original, the, you know, the, the, I think there was two versions, wasn't it? They made one for like 11 grand.
1: Yeah.
0: And then they... Sort of remade it and polished it up and everything, and then it went on to become the you know the phenomenon that it is now. Um, do you think it, it kept up with the sequels at all? Have you have you seen all of the sequels? I've seen. All?
1: I think I've seen all the sequels, and I think I feel like the odd numbers were good. So I didn't love paranormal activity <laughs> two, but I really liked three, mm. and the one that tried to use the Xbox. it was hilarious because who the hell was using the connect but paranormal activity managed it and there was the one with the the pool hoover the pool cleaner as well so there's some highlights of the sequels and i watched the most recent one which i feel was um not meant to be a paranormal activity movie and they just kind of stuck the paranormal activity name on it a bit like when they did that with cloverfield Mm. it wasn't that great um I guess they were kind of law of diminishing returns on most of those sequels. But I like the idea that they, for at least for the numbered ones, they tried to keep it to the same storyline, which was cool. So Katie rocked up a few times. And I mm. think that's admirable.
0: I think I've literally seen the first three, but maybe the fourth one as well. But there's one where the, the, the guy manages to go through like another dimension and then he ends up being the ghost from the first one. It's the
1: ghost dimension I think that's right, yeah. I think that's the ghost yeah that's it's bizarre and strange I think that's
0: genuinely quite cool it's like in a Final Destination you know the, the last one where it yes. turns out oh, that so it's good. set before the original So, I, well, I, funnily
1: I enough like funnily enough that would be a perfect segue into your next question
0: Joe <laughs> <laughs> alright then uh, number nine what's the most underrated horror film I've got an idea what you might say
1: go on oh actually no I, <gasps> I got I got distracted by the last oh other, no, no. No, never mind. This a future is... one. I just teased a future. That, future question. I, I, you know, I got ahead of myself. Um That
0: was slick podcasting. <laughs>
1: yes. That's why I'm a pro.
0: <laughs> no one will notice. It's fine.
1: Um my most underrated horror film is John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness.
0: Oh, there's a shout.
1: Because why doesn't everyone talk about that in the same way that they talk about Halloween and all his other stuff? Because it's brilliant, and it has Sam Neil in it, mm-hmm. and it was completely inspired by the work of Stephen King. So that's why it's literally Sutter Kane is creating a horrific Eldritch village of fictional awfulness, and Sam Neil goes off to find it. And it's, I love it. I love it, and it's not. I think it's. I've rewatched it like a stack of times. Initially, I thought it was maybe just because this is a this is a showing my age. I accidentally recorded it on a long play video <laughs> after Clueless. <laughs> and oh, that's man. how i found in the mouth of madness but i love it it's a great movie proper brilliant cosmic horror properly scary at points sam neil chewing up the scenery um and just the idea of um all the covers are quite stephen king esque mm. um but yeah i love it
0: I, I think it it's quite difficult i think to, to 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 represent sort of that that cosmic horror on screen because obviously a lot of it is about it's so bizarre and so ethereal and so weird that you you actually can't depict what it is. So it's very interesting to see how people got around it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I really enjoyed In the Mouth of Madness. I watched it a few years ago. It's not I, I don't actually remember it particularly well, but I remember watching it and thinking that was really really good fun.
1: Yeah, it's great fun. I think I think it's that um, I think it's that sense of fun that I really like. That it's not super serious and it's not. I think there's a lot. Um, There's a vein of horror that is like a really nasty horror that I'm not such a fan of. So I can I can watch really horrible horror, in things like Speak No Evil, etc., which I think is a (laughs) masterwork of horror. Um, But I'll probably never say I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it's it's
1: it's amazing, and I can see it as wonderful. I just I probably I'm never going to rewatch that. Mm. Um. Because I, you know, have respect for my own blood pressure. Um, (laughs) And even knowing what you know, sometimes it's just too much. Things like Wolf Creek, uh, Eden Lake, uh, funny games. These are all movies that are magnificent horror films, but aren't on my shelf because I probably don't want to, you know, if if I just had my shelf and that was all I had, I probably wouldn't want to watch those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they you're absolutely right. They have their place, don't they? But sometimes you just want... And it's—it's. It's, I've even toyed with having it as as a question, maybe swapping out one of the questions and having like, you know, uh, what horror film do you think is... I'm trying to think of a way of phrasing, what horror film do you reckon is just a laugh? You know, what, what's the most yeah. fun horror film maybe? Yeah, but yeah which
1: so. a lot of people would then respond with Megan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, I, ugh, I, I don't know about Megan. To be nope. it's, it's like, it was, it was just fine, for me. Weirdly, quite bloodless, but also like quite a. I do wonder how many films are being made where somebody goes, "Let's have a weird dancey bit because that will do numbers on TikTok." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was all right. It's, I had a laugh with Megan. So.
1: I had fun with it, but again, I had a lot of people texting me going, it's the most fun, it's amazing. And I'm going, mm. i would be interested to see what this um, unrated cut is like that's coming. Because, I actually
0: didn't know that was coming. So that's yeah, so that's,
1: it's coming to Peacock in the US in March, or is it this month? Um, basically, they're bringing out the unrated version. So we're going to find out all the stuff they cut out of it and i will be intrigued as to because i felt like it was like you i felt like it was quite toothless
0: yeah um
1: needlessly so because i was like if you're gonna have an evil doll doing awful things you may as well show the awful things Mm. um but yes so i'll be intrigued to see how how that goes
0: particularly pairing that up with the tiktok thing i mean like tiktok's massive amongst you know teenagers doing dance craze and stuff and if you take out the blood it can go to a younger audience so the yeah. the weird cynical part of my brain's like well i don't know maybe it's it's someone's entry-level horror you know like and yes. I, I give a lot of films the benefit of the doubt when they're like that because it's like, well that could be someone's you know fisher price my first horror movie do you know what i mean for sure in the mouth of man, is, is this the one where there's a scene where sam Neil is chased down like a sort of tunnel by all manner of weird grizzly yes. creatures yeah That's i remember enjoying that one that yeah. was really really good um Okay, so In the Mouth of Madness, fantastic stuff. Uh, what I'm going to do, Louise, I might actually deviate ever so slightly because um, given that you are gracing the podcast uh, with your presence, I'm going to ask you for something that I have not asked you to prepare for, so you might have to think on your feet with this one. Do you have a favourite horror game?
1: Uh, yes. Um, I haven't... Okay, yes. So... I think the favourite horror game that I tend to go to rather than the sort of OG silent hills etc because people want to be able to play it is uh, Layers of Fear um, which is a single-player psychological horror set in the house of an artist who is mad and it's very it's super linear but it's um basically it makes the most of the fact that you are playing a game. So you will go into one room and you'll turn around and it'll be completely different. And there's all these paintings everywhere that are constantly looking at you and it's very ominous and it's very much a kind of theme park ride Mm. of a game. Um, You don't die. You're not constantly punished. There's no endless chase sequences that become frustrating. It's just a pure, you can do it in pretty much one sitting. I think it's four or five hours. Um, And it's a great chunk of really fun horror. And there's some cheesy bits in it. There's some good jump scares in it. And it's a proper interesting ride. Mm. And that's one of my... That is absolutely one of my favourite horror games.
0: I've not played Layers of but I have heard... You know, I've seen a lot of stuff about it. It does look really, really interesting. But I I do wonder if it's in the category of stuff that's like too scary to play for me. Because, you know... I quite happily you know i've gone through like outlast and my wife and i we sit through- oh if
1: you did outlast you can do layers of fear oh, okay. outlast is oh outlast i found outlast terrifying you can definitely do layers of fear like it's not it's not mega super scary like it's not pt which i okay. find magnificently scary yes. and perfect um but it's it's just good fun solid horror that i really enjoy so yeah get that if you can honestly outlast scared the hell out of me
0: so I'd actually forgotten this until I mentioned it but Outlast was a game that so I, I got my uh, my gaming PC in 2014 and um my in-laws they they're very good at um sort of sitting through it and watching a game being played so it would come to like the weekend and I would lug my big old gaming PC. We'd plug it into their telly in their lounge uh-huh. and we would all spend the evening just by house. And let me tell you, that's an odd one to play with your mother-in-law.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, I bet. <laughs> wow. But also I think playing horror games like that is the best possible way to play horror games because people will everyone's scared everyone's reacting people are either passing the controller or they're backseat horror gaming you telling you that hide under there no what are you doing that for don't run that way and then it creates that sort of party atmosphere yes. rather than sometimes when you're playing a horror game and you've got your headphones on and it's all a bit much mm. and they feel like the, the thing you can do to sort of gently crank down the tensions at least just take your headphone off a little yeah, bit just off one just, ear just just off one ear just be like everything's fine everything's okay so yeah, I'm quite jealous of that because sometimes when I play horror games, it's just me. Um, that,
0: that's when it, yeah, I I'll, I'll quite happily watch any horror movie um, apart from Martyrs. but any like games definitely affect me more. We did, we did once. So my um, my wife's grandma had a bit of land that we used to use when we were teenagers for like sleepovers and stuff so like we'd go and set up camp we'd literally set up tents and stuff in this little orchard around around um, the bottom of our garden and um, there was a a lean-to that we were all one night we were sat under i had a, a crappy laptop and me and my friend dan and my wife we were sat there in the woods on this laptop playing through amnesia and you're absolutely right with the party atmosphere that was absolutely brilliant fun that was kind of heartily recommend playing video games out in the woods.
1: <laughs> oh wow! Was it Amnesia: The Dark Descent?
0: Was yes, that the, yeah, that was yeah, the one. Wow, yeah, yeah, that was great. i
1: reviewed reviewed. Um, I want to say Rebirth, a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, I've and some of that it. was interesting, some of it less so. Um, I feel like, I feel like those experiences haven't really aged particularly well because we have a much lower tolerance because we just don't want to be frustrated. And that's my big thing with horror games is Mm. I don't want to die repeatedly because you're just going to delete any tension that I've created. So that's why I'd love to play things like Soma on story mode Mm. because it means that it kind of turns off the fact that they can kill you and you can just concentrate on being afraid in the world they've created. Which I think is...
0: You're right. It it very quickly loses its effect. If if it just becomes, there is this problem that you need to get around. Rather than oh my god, okay, I'm in a kitchen, I'm sneaking around yeah. the you know, the, the island or whatever, trying to keep away from this thing. If it just becomes, oh, fuck, we're back here again. Right, run around yep. here, jump over there, get out the door. Le, le, le. And it
1: becomes rote, and then suddenly games do things that they think are unpredictable, but actually you just had to guess, and that's automatically going to take you back to the beginning with a sour taste in your mouth. We were like, well, I don't want to restart. I was already excited. Like, mm. stop this, stop switching. But horror games have an obsession with that. They really do. It's a real problem. And also with... Um, I do love the asymmetrical stuff just now, though. I love Friday the 13th is amazing, um, where one of you plays Jason, the rest of you plays Counselors. If you've got the right group of friends, it's
0: wonderful. So that that's the sticking point for me, is like Evil Dead and Friday the 13th and the upcoming like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. I don't have any friends who are into this. So <laughs> that, that's yeah. where it sort of falls down for me. So they're, they're not that satisfying as single-player experiences.
1: So. Oh, God, no. The Evil Dead especially that was out... Um, great in multiplayer, the yeah. single player was dreadful mm. because it didn't have any save functionality in it. So you'd have to start again and again repeatedly because I think basically the way that the maps were set up was as like as multiplayer experiences basically. But yeah, not good.
0: Yeah, I, I fell off that very hard. Which is mad that there's a game called Evil Dead and I didn't like it. That's insane. But, okay, yeah. so we deviate Sorry. ever so slightly we do, onto we digress, uh, yes. Layers of Fear is the, the honorary disc on your because yeah because it's it's on a disc all right i don't care yeah, it can be a digital course. download it can be whatever, on a disc. but for this sure. there's a box edition <laughs> all right then uh your 10th tech 11th i'm gonna stick to 10th uh what's the last horror film which scared you
1: so this is hard because do you mean like the most recent one or the most recent one i watched that scared me uh
0: the, the last one you watched let's say that scared okay, you the, the most i
1: read I was watching uh, for Annuary for Mike, <laughs> for Patreon. That's a mouthful, um, is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. We only said it the once. Um, we watched, uh, I was, we covered this, we covered signs and the village. And the village for me is still phenomenal and still has a couple of the scariest sequences for me, which is when Bryce Dallas Howard is out in the wilderness, in the woods, and the monsters that we think are fake, one of them appears behind her. And it's genuinely still horrifying to watch. And it really lingers on it as well. And it really tortures you with it. And it genuinely does that like stomach dropping thing for me. And the fact that it still does it. And then adds really, you know, terrifying James Newton Howard music as well. Oh, it's great.
0: So I'm I'm not, I, I, I've I, got a feeling that I tried watching The Village a couple of years ago and then switched off for some reason. I didn't actually finish it. But is, am I right in thinking this is the point where, it's been exposed that some of them are fake, but there is still yes. a lingering doubt as to whether this one is real. Yes, that's the the yeah. crux of it.
1: That's the that's the thing. And there's some lovely camera work in the woods that's just spinning behind her because you already feel completely so bereft for her. This poor blind girl making her way through the woods, and the men have they've left her behind, and um, it's just her. And you think that all she would have to worry about is you know the normal things that would be in the woods, but the idea that there is the idea that there is a monster. And that it's come to find her and she doesn't know it's there. It's mm. just, there's some, you know, Shyamalan after that did some sort of questionable movies. But, you know, The Village in many ways, it's not perfect. We talk about a lot of its problems in the podcast. But um, there's some really scary stuff in there. Um, and it's quite reassuring to watch that and go, that's still scary. That's still yeah. absolutely terrifying. That I get goosebumps thinking about it. As
0: as much as Shyamalan, like you say, he went on to do some questionable stuff. I generally speaking i will always give him a look because he's me too I, his heart's in the right place absolutely i would yeah. much rather see someone swinging for the fences and completely miss than yeah. just try and do something a bit middle of the road so, yeah all right yeah cool the village then i mean obviously that's probably the one that's going to change the most yes uh, in your because <laughs> right. i was
1: thinking like the latest new one was um probably nope there was one scene in Nope that really scared me. Oh, let's
0: talk about that very quickly then. What What was the scene in Nope which? Got
1: um, here? The scene where the thing is above the house. Yes. Um, genuinely, again, we were talking about its similarity with signs of how it's such an isolated thing that's focused on such a small group of people. It's not like entire buildings being annihilated by aliens. It's one. It's you know people in a house being attacked by a horrible thing in the sky and we don't know what it is and it's so unpredictable and you know Jordan Peele does such an incredible job of making it so vast Mm. and huge and making people feel small and making the house feel tiny but this force is vindictive and wants something and all of that combined to make that I genuinely I was really surprised by exactly how how much it affected me because i didn't expect it to
0: mm, absolutely yeah when you think of sort of aliens generally they're not the scariest nah, things, but no
1: he made it scary
0: i feel like nope is probably a film that i admire more than love or enjoyed because mm. get out i think is perfect yes it's us for the flaws that it has i adored us it was one of the best times i've had in the cinema and then nope i was i I totally see what you're going for i totally get it just not for me so it's one i can absolutely you know see that see the wizardry of it but still be like just didn't just didn't quite catch for me which is a shame your 11th disc then louise
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what's the best death or kill you've seen in a horror movie go on you're laughing so this is so
1: my favorite (laughs) horror movie death um is from final destination three i had to decide between final destination five which has a gymnastics or four and it has gymnastics based kill but the final destination three sunbed sequence <laughs> is my favorite because and it's not because i mean it's 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 horrible it's two young women topless dancing to roller coaster In a sunbed, in a uh, tanning salon, and horrific things happen around them to make things overheat, things melt. uh, And then a giant piece of wood arrives down a shelf and pins the sunbed top down so they they roast in there. And it's horrible. But the reason that it's my favourite death is because it has my favourite graphic match in all of cinema. Which is the top-down shot of the two sunbeds next to each other cutting to Stretching the two coffins nothing. next to each other at oh. the funeral and it is just oh. perfect it's just perfect no notes perfect because it's it's the exact uh, sort of representation of why death in cinema and death in horror particularly can be as funny as it yeah. is horrifying and it's the understanding of tone. And it's that expert understanding of tone, which is why we can roar with laughter when rip are ripped out and people are squished and smooshed and eyes pop, because it's inherently funny. And that's what Final Destination, as a series, turns into an art form, but why I particularly mm. enjoy that one. Because on its, you know, essentially it's quite brutal and it's horrible, but at the same time it's it, it's comedic and hilarious and, you know, so it's caricature
0: that's the thing isn't it a hundred those films really a hundred percent understand that you know the setup for jump scares and jokes are the same thing it's you know you've got a a, you establish a pattern and then you you either deviate you know it's the two things make people laugh it's surprise or familiarity so you either go okay yeah it's going to be this that gets them or he goes oh no it's completely different it's this this. and oh it's basically it's like um it's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon, isn't it? Just with totally. blood and guts. They, they are they are some really enjoyable movies. I do like the Final Destination series because, like we were saying earlier, you know th- those are absolutely horror films that are just a laugh. Yeah. You know they're not trying to say a huge amount about yeah, particularly political issues. Maybe they are, but that's what I enjoy them for is just the yeah. fact that right. Come on, slippery floor. With the light bulb's loose. There's something over there that you might trip over. Something perfect
1: yeah perfect Excellent. water's going to run from here and it also makes you deeply paranoid about everything <laughs> so you go to like put the kettle on and you're like oh i just slipped on a frozen pea that i didn't realize was on the floor that at some point has made its way out of the freezer inexplicably how did that happen <laughs> suddenly your entire life becomes mousetrap and you never want to enter the kitchen
0: <laughs> mousetrap that is exactly what it is it's it's an entirely it's a every setup is a game of mouse trap. that's fantastic yeah yep. <laughs> amazing final destination three Fantastic stuff. Okay, Louise, your penultimate disc I'm going to ask you for then. Can I please have one film from your favourite horror director?
1: Saw. Oh,
0: lovely stuff.
1: From Mr. James Wan. Obviously with Lee L, but James Wan is one of my, is I think my favourite horror director just for how much terrifying fun he has. He makes theme park movies, mm. but Saw in particular, I remember... Seeing it for the first time, I'd never seen anything like it. It was that kind of early noughties. Obviously, it had no budget, but back then, that's when blood switched from being red in the nineties to being black in the noughties, and everything was green Green. and horrible. (laughs) Um, And Saw was just such a compelling premise. Like Mm. your your brain was going, your your brain thought of all the different potential things before the sequel could even think of them. All the horrible things that someone could do to try and survive. And the creation of Jigsaw as a serial killer who literally gives you an out, even if it's an unpleasant one. It's just also it's also compelling. That twist, the scares. He's got the expert scares long before he put them in conjuring, etc. The wandering around with the camera mm-hmm. in the house when there's no power. It's just everything in that we actually saw in One to Come. And a lot of people prefer Lee One L, and that's he's a great filmmaker but there's something just slightly cheesier about James Wan that I do appreciate.
0: <laughs> it it really is a, a it, it really is a perfect movie I think so sort of. like for, for, regardless of what it went on to be and how it tried this sort of labyrinthine plot of trying to tie up all the loose ends of just get rid of that just give us a lockbox puzzle lovely bit of gore good scares an amazing twist an incredible score as well the
1: oh yeah you know
0: i I was gonna call it a theme tune (laughs) but you know just that that's what that was my ringtone for years that was i absolutely adored that
1: that shows your age and we used to have the ring fact tones. that ringtones remember be a we thing. used to remember we used to pay for ringtones now my phone hasn't rung for about five years
0: yeah now everyone's ringtone is just
1: silent endlessly silent if my phone makes a noise I'm upset
0: yeah, I'm embarrassed like oh god
1: no more crazy frog
0: <laughs> oh, it's showing your age Jesus crazy frog bloody hell that was a I've
1: freak. already shown my age of this entire <laughs> this entire list is my age unfortunately
0: I, I, I'm due a re of Saw actually because like, even even the sequel I th- it is the sequel isn't it that does the it it, ha- it plays the trick of you think you're seeing the events happening concurrently and time, actually it's yeah, happened time twist mm. so yep. that I, I really enjoyed that sort that of that wasn't
1: meant to be a Saw movie whoever it was wrote that pitched it as something else and then it got turned into a Saw movie but like I love the um, I mean even though some of the sequels are terrible. Mm. Most of the sequels are terrible. I love the fact that they went with that absurd plot. Mm. I love the fact that they tried to continue it. They didn't just do one at a time. I love the fact that they foolishly cast two men that look pretty much exactly the <laughs> yeah, same. <they> do. <laughs> um Detectives Hoffman and someone else. They're all like cheap sliced alone. The casting director clearly has a very specific look for the men that they go for. Um and saw sex is a wonderful exploration of the American healthcare system. <laughs>
0: It's Saw six the one with the roundabout and the shotgun? Of
1: lawyers. Yes, that's the one.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was good fun. That It's one.
1: got the highest body count of all of them, that one. <laughs> because of that roundabout, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's immediately, there's six or seven on there. Yeah, it's so. done. <laughs> I need to get a box set of Saw. Definitely. I, I
1: think I... I own them all on Amazon. Because at one point, I think I had to watch them for the podcast. <laughs> and I just own them all. They're all sitting there in digital form.
0: Did you ever play either of the Saw video games at all? Yes. Are they are I, they shit? Are they shiters? Well,
1: it was PS3. Yeah. that saw the initial saw one was on, but I am um, I have one of my favorite horror video game memories is from playing Saw. And it's in the game, they had it so that if you went through a door, there was a, there was a shotgun trap above the door. So when you opened the door, the shotgun would go off. And the way to get around that was you had to do a QTE, so a quick time event. You had to press a button to stop yourself having your head you know, blown up. But I had gone through a few of these doors, but then I pushed through a door and then I sneezed IRL <laughs> and my fake head blew up. <laughs> Which was just the most like, what just happened? Did that thing where you close your eyes, if you don't close your eyes, your head blows up? Did that just happen? In the- it was a very odd six seconds before <laughs> I realised that i just missed a QTE. <laughs> it
0: sneezed with your eye open and suddenly it's all gone scanners. <laughs> That's incredible. <Yes. laughs>
1: But yeah, I only played, I think there was, there must have been another one, but I only played that one and it wasn't particularly good. And PS3, you can just imagine how ugly it was.
0: Yeah, lots of browns and greys. and Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've come to your final disc, Louise. Um, what's your favourite horror film from the last five years? Host. Correct. <laughs>
1: I'm glad. (laughs) No notes, done. That's it. (laughs) It was lovely. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. See you later. Have a lovely night watching Next Exit.
0: Uh, Like and subscribe. Uh... (laughs) Tell me about Host and tell me how it's perfect.
1: Host is perfect because, yet again, we've got another me talking about another found footage movie, but this time, obviously, it was set on Zoom where our entire lives by this point in 2020 were on Zoom. And it makes the most, it doesn't do anything super new. But it makes the most of everything that we've ever seen before and it makes the most of the technology. Mm -hmm. I think that's my favorite thing of we'd become used to the punctuation of having a Zoom call. And whether that was someone having a background or someone doing a certain thing or changing their name or coming in and out or being on mute and all of these things. It basically tapped into our behaviors at that time and manipulated every single one of our fears using that with a very simple thing of. Well, everything's going to go wrong, and you've got these individual windows, each of which will take turns to disappear in some way. So it's a beautiful structure. Mm. It's genuinely terrifying. It makes the most of everything we're afraid of, and it's under an hour long because Rob Savage and Jed Shepard and uh, Gemma understand entirely um, what's so what's so terrifying about short, concise horror.
0: Absolutely, it's the. I don't know about you, Louise, but I'm. I'm probably the, the, the biggest horror fan that most people I know know. So like my parents and family members and that sort of thing. And host is the one thing. I was like, okay, I know you don't get why I like all this scary shit. But just mm. go and watch this. Because this is a perfect example of capturing contemporary worries and concerns and just going, we're going to fuck with you with this now. Yeah, um, okay. yeah I, it's, it, it gives me a headache to think about how editing it must have been. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I listened to a, an interview. I think it was with Jed Shepard, and he said they literally, they from the off he texted Rob saying Zoom seance, and then after that they went through every single feature on Zoom. And as you say, we're all, yep. you know, uh, complete understanding of the grammar of Zoom and everything. And they were like, right, we'll just base scares off of off all of those um, features. It's it's stunning. It's absolutely yep. stunning. I do wonder because generally speaking if there's a a a horror movie which discusses a new technology typically i think they age quite poorly quite quickly Mm. but i feel like host is probably gonna stick around for you know for for the foreseeable because we're still going to have video calls and that sort of thing aren't we going forward we are
1: currently still on zoom
0: right now you and i
1: (laughs) this very moment we are on zoom and i think um yes well tech stuff can age things but sometimes we still kind of look at it with well that was the tech at the time Mm. and i think there is enough i think there is enough to be afraid of in host um that that kind of transcends its technology as well yeah just yeah
0: absolutely and I think actually just to touch it this was something a point I wanted to make earlier but I realized that we just got caught up and, and I just didn't get a chance to make it is the fact that um the fact that it all takes place on one zoom call it kind of excuses something like a, a sort of a flaw or an issue with found footage that isn't well it's not a flaw but it's just a a strange point that I like pointing out is that generally with found footage what are you are watching? Someone's edited that? Like, in the yep. fiction of the universe, someone's gone, I don't know what to do here, just put all this together. <laughs> and, yeah,
1: and someone's turned it into fucked. a documentary. <laughs> which is sometimes what I... Um, although some movies then add this sort of extra meta element to that, where part of you're watching it is the documentary, mm. but then part of it is somehow something that was then found. So I think Hell House LLC does it. Like, I love Hell House. And it's initially a documentary. She's says set her microphone. Initially a documentary, but then you... Then follow the documentary filmmakers ah, okay. into the house.
0: Yeah, that, that's one that's been on my list layers. for. A, yeah, it's been on my list for a while. That one, but uh, that's one that I regularly see coming up in like you know scariest horror movie sort. of It
1: things. was almost in my underrated because it's oh, still fantastic. the sequels are not great. No, okay. but um, the original is the original is really good. And then in the introduction, like it manages to do that again that building dread thing where it's just a queue of people uh, waiting to go into a haunted house experience. But there's like a palpable feeling mm. of what's going to go wrong in there um
0: See, I think it's
1: very relatable
0: that's that's possibly gonna resonate with me quite a lot because um I once for my wife's birthday took her to a um an escape room that was horror themed
1: uh-huh uh
0: and then i i've I've told this story on i think on previous episodes of this but if not I've told this story certainly on the episode of hardcore listing that I appeared on. Um, with Stu and chris um and yeah it basically culminates in me getting so scared i had to tap out and i started crying because i was so scared
1: <laughs> it's very I get funny it. like, i can I get laugh it. now no but, but i get just... it no they're scary they, they are they are scary and they are overwhelming and when we have a certain especially horror brain mm. it's also far more it's far more effective because we understand the language of that they're in. I mean, I find them completely unbearable. Mm. Um and I've had to do quite a lot for work. That, I had mm. to do a zombie shopping mall in Reading, which I found very upsetting and scary. I had to do for I think promotion for there's a VR game called Arizona Sunshine. Yes. Um where I ended up being grabbed under a bridge, shoved into a van,
0: no,
1: taken that's... to an unknown location, forced to get into like a jumpsuit and then endure this horrific horror maze. Um, and thankfully my one of my co-workers at the time, uh, Leon from GamesRadar, was with me and literally had to protect me the entire time to the point at one point we got completely split off from... We were on our own and I literally the uh, horrible alarm went off to say that the zombies were out and it was all flashing lights and it was awful and people were being terrible and I literally did the no nope out thing. I put my hands on my head and said, I want to leave, I want to leave, I want to leave, which mm. was what you had to do. Yeah. And thankfully everyone was very like, immediately like the actor that was with me snapped straight out. She said, like, I'm going to get you out. It's going to be fine. Um. But then as we were going out, we were just meeting up with the group again and I said, no, I think I can be okay now. But like those guys are pros and they, I think will take a little bit of a victory. When you say I don't want to do this anymore, so you're making a scare actor's day when you say no. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) but they're very caring and very sweet humans. Because I remember her being like, "Are you sure? Is everything okay?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll be fine." Yeah, but it's too much. It's they're intense.
0: Somehow that started with us talking about hosts. Have you seen Dashcam?
1: I have seen Dashcam.
0: What did you think of Dashcam?
1: I enjoyed the roller coaster mad nature of Dashcam, and I saw it in the Genesis as part of there was an evolution of horror screening, and the whole room was having a ton of fun with it. Mm. She was utterly hateful, um, in a kind of amusing way as a character, um, and I just I, I I rolled with that roller coaster and and enjoyed the horror of it especially the fact it ended up in a theme park at one point which yes. i really enjoyed
0: yeah, yeah. I, I found it very interesting how it, it took a character you absolutely do not like and don't want to be anywhere near with but by the end you're like oh i hope she gets out of this you know that was a really interesting exercise And in that i very much enjoyed Dashcam cam too so. louise blaine that brings us to the end of putting together your spooky shelf so i will
1: can put like a bookend on it we can have horror bookends on either side of the shelf.
0: All right, bonus question: What is the the what what are your horror bookends looking like? So,
1: oh, do you know they're? Pro- I'm looking up here. They're probably made out of Lego because I love yes. Lego. Of course you do. Yes, 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 yes. I love I Lego. Yes. Um, so they're probably made out of Lego, and currently I can see my Lego haunted mansion because I'm a big Disney fan, a Disney Parks fan. Yeah. So I would like to have a Disney haunted mansion made out of lego on either side of my spooky shelf
0: fantastic no problem at all we absolutely share that passion by the way it's one of my favorite builds it's the best bit of lego that i own it's incredible nice so much fun um amazing okay so bookended by two lego haunted mansions louise your spooky shelf reads thusly we have uh the witches followed by the blair witch project scream obviously uh, the Shining, upon opening this, you obviously are presented with a flyer for The Conjuring and a Polaroid of Mike Munzer putting his face through the door and giving you the thumbs up. <laughs> you have the box set of. This is going to take up some room, let me tell you. You have the entire. one through seven. Oh, yeah. one through seven. Yeah, yeah. You have the entire series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, along with the printouts of the stories that you wrote as a. Teacher, yes. That is going to take up some space. Um, the Descent. Next Exit, which I'm going to go off and cry at in a minute. Uh, paranormal Activity, In the Mouth of Madness. The Village, with a, a flyer for Nope in it, because you mentioned that one as well. Final Destination 3, Saw and Host, with added bonus game, Layers of Fear. Louise, how do you feel about your spooky shelf right now? Are there any that you're instantly like, okay, I, I need to change that now?
1: <laughs> no, I feel really good about it. Hey! I feel good about I This is a great shelf. <laughs> I feel like it correctly represents me. Excellent
0: yeah. stuff. Well, that's what it's all about. This is the secret of this of this podcast. It's not really about the shelf. So, <laughs> in the same way
1: that. You could have said that at the start and I wouldn't have worried so much.
0: In the same way Literally, that I had little is lists. not about a shark.
1: <laughs> <that>. Very good. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me.
0: No, of course. It's my absolute pleasure, Louise. Just on the off chance that someone has found this podcast before they know who you are, which I don't think is going to happen, uh, where can people keep up to date with all your bits and pieces?
1: Um, If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm shiny underscore demon. You'll also find me on the Evolution of Horror Fresh Blood Patreon, uh, where we talk every month about new releases. Um, You'll find me writing for T3, NME, Tech Radar, Games Radar, and I also presents BBC Radio 3's Sound of Gaming programme, which is the first Saturday of every month where I play soundtracks from games of a certain theme and have an interview with a composer, usually of a new release. Um, And if you don't hear it live, which nobody ever does, you can listen to it on BBC Sounds uh, where it's there for like 30 days with all the full soundtracks. But after the 30 days are up, because of right uh, the soundtrack tracks go down to 30 seconds but you can still listen to the interviews and there's some really fascinating interviews with the most exciting game composers it's unbelievable who i get lucky enough to speak to so yeah check out sound of gaming
0: amazing incredible stuff louise thank you so much for coming down and putting up your very own spooky shelf really appreciate it thanks joe There you go, that was Louise Blaine on the Spooky Shelf podcast, and that completes my collection of the Fresh Blood Game. Yay. Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf wherever you get your pods. You can find me at Spooky Shelf Podcast on Instagram or at Joe Ducaro. Next week, there might not actually be an episode of the Spooky Shelf. I'm turning 30 next Thursday, and I'm being whisked away on holiday by my wife. I don't know where I'm going, I don't know when I'm coming back. <laughs> Um, so there may be an opportunity for me to sort well, all the editing and everything um, but there might not be an episode next week just to give you a bit of uh, Thank thanks very much as always to Cosmo Nishim for creating the incredible photography and the artwork for this podcast and Raoul Coley and Mike Flanagan who will one day be recording their very own Spooky Shelf I'm sure have a lovely week and see you next time on the Spooky Shelf Podcast